invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Where the Gospel of Luke follows more closely the story of Mary and pays attention to the shepherds, the Gospel of Matthew starts us out with some of Joseph's story and then uh, follows us towards the kings and towards the gifts that are brought. So on Christmas Eve, we'll spend some time with the kings and the gifts that they brought and what that meant because of Jesus. But today, today we focus on Joseph's part to play in this story. But it's not Joseph's story. It is God's story. It's the story of Jesus being born into the world. And as we've used 1 Corinthians 13, 13 as our theme verse throughout Advent, we remember faith, hope, and love But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of love is our Emmanuel, Jesus being born into the world. So as we hold on to faith, hope, and love that God has for us, the faith, hope, and love that we have, the faith, hope, and love that we have for ourselves, for one another, and for what God will still do, we'll read Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This familiar story of Jesus being born into the world. But as we go to that text, first, before we pray and read Matthew 1.18, just want to read 1 John 4, verse 10, as a framing for what we're about to hear. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and sent us, and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the story of Jesus being born into the world. Let's pray for God's blessing upon the reading of the Word. God, we come to You with faith that the story is true, with hope that you are our Savior, that you will continue to save and redeem us, and with love for this story and for what it means to us, with love for one another, because you have called us to love one another, and with love for you, remembering full well this day that we love because you first loved us. So as we hear this story, Whether it be the first time, may it shape and form us. Whether it be the hundredth time, may it still be fresh to our hearts. May you continue to move through your Holy Spirit that your word may be living and active to us. No matter how faint the voice or familiar the words, we ask that you speak to our hearts, O God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christmas time, the holiday time as a whole, is a very busy season. There's extra stuff at school, there's programs, there's, there's Christmas concerts, there's work parties and family gatherings and our own stuff to do, extra dishes to make, extra things to get ready, presents to buy or wrap or, or maybe to still buy and wrap. I don't know how much of a procrastinator you are. It starts to just feel busy, busy, busy. And that's not going to change. That just will be. But I wonder if after all of the busyness, after so much celebration and so much extra stuff either happening or being given, I wonder, not by a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us are just ready to be alone. Like for some, oh, I, I see certain faces light up, um, particularly people who I suspect have a lot to do with getting the household ready. How many of us are just ready to be left alone? just to sit in a comfy chair by a fireplace with a warm beverage of choice in hand and just be left alone. Now, we do crave that, and there is a, there is a healthy part of us that should crave solitude. But this season just doesn't leave us alone for very long. And I know that can be busy and exhausting, but also there is something at play in how busy the season is that is a reminder of the greatest hope that Christmas offers. It is that this season is one where you are not alone. You are not alone, even if you want to be. The truth of this comes from the very meaning of that name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas in all of its hope, Jesus being born into the world, at the very core of the hope that we have is the simple reminder that we are not alone, that, that God is with us. This is the meaning of the name Emmanuel. It's why we sing it. It's why we remind ourselves of it year after year because we are not alone because God is with us. Now, we know full well you can be alone in the middle of a crowd. You can feel lonely even surrounded by all kinds of other people. 
and that feeling is very real. But Christmas hope is the reminder that we are not alone, that God is with us, and because of God's great love for us, we want to share love with one another. So maybe one of the best applications of the meaning of the name Emmanuel is to keep an eye out for people who are alone. And we can't change the way people feel, but through our words, through our actions, we can share this Emmanuel hope that no one is alone or doesn't need to be alone. We share this hope. Emmanuel, God is with us. And, and there's something incredibly moving about remembering that you are not alone. It's why children want someone with them when it's dark. Because if you're by yourself, the dark is scary. But if you're not alone, the dark's not quite so scary anymore. It's why we hold people's hands in hospital beds when we're not even sure if they're listening to us or not. But it's that tactile reminder you are not alone. It's why we send Christmas cards to people that we might not see any other time of the year, maybe as a gentle reminder that they are not alone. Friends, Joseph. Joseph had a fascinating role to play in this story, and he was not alone. Joseph as he went through life, we have the gift of hindsight that we can look back and, and see how the story plays out. We can know everything that's going to happen to him next. But for Joseph experiencing this, this was happening to him in real time. Just seeming like any other day. It might be hard to trust that, that God had this perfect plan in mind, but there's a description of Joseph that comes through that reminds us that even though if we empathize with Joseph that this was all happening to him, we can know and read and understand that God was purposeful, that God chose Joseph for a particular reason, just as God does with God's choosing, that God chose Mary and Joseph, that God arranged this. And the best clue that we have to that is in verse 19. And depending on what version um, you have, if you were reading the Pew Bible, you didn't notice at all because I took the older NIV. If you were reading your own Bible from home or reading the Bible on your phone, that would be the 2011 rendition of the NIV, which says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. The 1984 version of the NIV and most other translations say, because Joseph was righteous or because Joseph was a righteous man. Now, I have a particular beef with the translation to work out with you all. And, and, and hear me out. I know this is going to be some, some Greek distinctions, but this matters a lot on who Joseph is and that we understand clearly who and how he lived. Joseph was a righteous man. In Greek, the word is just dikaios, which means righteous. And to be righteous is to be in right relationship with God. That is the standard for righteousness. The standard for righteousness is to be in right relationship with God. 
And in Greek, the, the language that the New Testament was written in, it's just written, Joseph was righteous, dikaios. He was a righteous man. Faithful to the law, I, I didn't find a good article on why that was changed in the 2011 rendition of the NIV. To be translated, dikaios became faithful to the law because there's perfectly good words for faithfulness and for law. If Matthew's gospel meant to say that, that Joseph was faithful to the law, it would say pistuonamas, faithful to the law. But it doesn't. And there's an important distinction to pay attention to in why that matters so much and why my Greek nerdiness gets all stirred up about this. In what Joseph did, he is seeking to be as righteous as possible in ways that are not following the letter of the law because the world is about to turn and change and the standard of righteousness is not measured by the law. The standard of righteousness is measured by being in right relationship with God. And if we are in right relationship with God, we will seek to be in right relationship with other people. If Joseph was following the letter of the law and protecting himself and his reputation... When he found out that Mary was pregnant, by the law, he could have, and by the law should have, had her stoned to death for adultery. But he didn't. Because Joseph was righteous, he actually didn't follow the letter of the law. He did not want to expose her to this public disgrace or death, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Because even if she wasn't stoned to death, she would be a pariah in the community. Her reputation and her family's reputation would be harmed. And in fact, Joseph's reputation is probably more at risk by choosing to do what he did. The safest thing for Joseph to do is to wash his hands of Mary as publicly as possible to say, she's pregnant and I didn't do it. And this is incredibly unfair because you might realize that the burden of proof is not on Joseph at all. He can just say... It's not my baby. She's pregnant. I'm washing my hands of this. And Joseph's reputation would be protected. Did you grow up in a small town? People talk. This is how my parents instilled the fear of God in me that they said, we'll always know before you tell us. Small towns. By Joseph seeking to divorce her quietly, he's trying to be righteous. He's trying to get some distance from this. But also, people might always suspect that it was Joseph's baby. He was just protecting himself. You can imagine some small-town gossip, even if you're not from a small town. But Joseph's not worried about that. Joseph is not worried about the, the punishment that gossip can bring upon our reputation. Joseph is not worried about the repercussions of that. It's probably a stressful time for him, but he's trying to do what is right, right by God, but also right by Mary, another living human being. Also from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, we are told that there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. 
Friends, Joseph's standard of righteousness is not being measured by the law. It is being measured by the fact that he is trying to do what is right, that he is full of love, knowing that God loves him, he loves God, that he is showing love and grace to Mary from what he thinks he knows right now, that he's not worried about fear and punishment. He's not worried about the law being followed out to the fullest measure to punish Mary. And he's not worried about the repercussions. There's no fear of punishment on his reputation that comes into play with what he plans to do. Friends, this is why it matters so much to me that we remember that Joseph was righteous, period. And that saying that he was faithful to the law is actually a little bit of a misnomer. Love makes the most of difficult situations. Love makes the most of difficult situations. Because, let's be honest, even before Joseph knows the rest of what's going on, he's in kind of a difficult situation. And it is love, it is love and righteousness together that seeks to make the most of a difficult situation. This is God's love for us, and this should be our love modeled for the world. This candle is still burning. God's love for us makes the most of a difficult situation, that that we are born into a sinful world, that, that we can be sinful by nature, and yet God's love for us makes the most of a difficult situation in sending Jesus Christ born into a manger, dying upon a cross, buried in a tomb, but God's love for us makes the most of a difficult situation and raises God from the dead raises Jesus out of the grave. Love makes the most of a difficult situation. God did it first, and every time we make the most of a difficult situation out of love, we are trying to emulate God's perfect love for us first. Now, consider what family gatherings you have to go to or work parties or whatever situation that you're facing now that will still be around when you get into next year, 2020. What are some of the difficult situations that you want to make the most of? Do you believe that God wants to make the most of it too? How do we make the most of difficult situations? There's all kinds of tension and brokenness in our world, in our relationships, in our own families. But love makes the most of difficult situations. We saw this in Joseph out of his righteousness And we know that our love is only trying to mirror and point to God's love. But love also can admit when it's wrong, even if it was well-intentioned. Love admits when it's wrong, even if it was well-intentioned. Because Joseph, full of love, making making the most or best of a difficult situation, If you combine most and best, it'll say messed. Making the most and best of a difficult situation, Joseph is planning to divorce Mary quietly. Come what may out of that. Come the chatter, come the gossip. But, verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Funny that he calls him son of David. David is his ancestor, but not his direct father. He's reminding Joseph that he's of a kingly lineage. 
Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means Savior or save us, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph had a plan that was well-intentioned, and yet when he receives new information, he doesn't still stick to his original plan, defending it by it being well-intended, but he changes plans. He follows through with what God told him to do through the angel, because love can admit when it's wrong. It actually still holds true that Joseph had a good idea but that he wasn't so set and stuck and stubborn in his ways that he wouldn't change his plan when he learned something new. Love knows how to admit when it is wrong. And we can do this because it's not about who we win or lose in the argument. It's not about the points that we win or lose. It's about loving a person more than the situation at hand. Love can admit when it's wrong because God is with us. When we seek the righteousness of God, God is with us. That we'll make the most of difficult situations and that we will admit when we are wrong, even if our intentions were good. I've teased my sister Jill before about how when we were kids, Jill's apologies all started the same way. Well, I'm sorry, but... It's like, you're not really sorry, You're saying you're sorry before you remind me how you're justified in being right. And don't worry, there's no family strife there anymore. But still, Joseph learned something new. And love can change its plans, especially when that love comes with the assurance that God is with us. This is our love, and it's God's love for us. Though God is never wrong, God will be with us even when we are wrong. I can't imagine what this was like for Joseph to learn, to be told, to, to, to believe even, because it all seems incredulous and it happened in a dream. As you think about that, even if you had a really vivid dream, wouldn't it be easy to wake up and move on and just do what you're going to do anyway and say, wow, that was a crazy dream? but love can change. And finally, love can follow through. Love can follow through because it's not afraid. Love can take a difficult situation, admit when it's wrong, and then love can and will follow through. And we can follow through in love because there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Pretty soon we'll be in almost New Year's Eve. Christmas will pass. It'll give way to New Year's. We'll make resolutions, 22% of which we'll follow up on. Most of them we'll forget by January 7. Love follows through because it's a commitment that goes beyond a feeling. If you had to make not a New Year's resolution but a Christmas resolution, what would it be to follow up in love? What would you love most to follow up with? Who do you love most that you need to follow up with? Love follows through. When Joseph woke up, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. 
because Joseph was righteous. Not by any human standards, not by any cultural pressure, but simply because he wanted to be in right relationship with God. God's love for us is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is with us in hard situations. God is with us when we have to own our mistakes. And God is with us when we choose to follow through on that which is righteous. This is Joseph's small part to play. In fact, he's he's nominally involved here. And yet, through God's love with him, Joseph follows through out of love and out of righteousness. Joseph will cease to be mentioned pretty quickly in Scripture. By most scholarly understanding, we believe that Joseph died kind of young. And yet here he was as a very young man, a teenager, by the way, being told that his fiancée was carrying the Savior of all people. And he follows through in love and in righteousness. So before you get to New Year's resolutions, what's the Christmas resolution? And what is it that you can remain so committed to that, that you'll be unflinching about it? We can apologize when we're wrong, but we can hold steadfast. I was reminded of that by my own childish behavior this morning. As we were pre-lighting the candles, because we actually do pre-light them, it should make them easier to light them later in the service, though the evidence is questionable right now. As I pre-lit all the candles, uh, Scott Cass was still practicing music, and uh, I kept the lighter lit, and I just inched it closer and closer and closer to his music stand and to his paper music. I don't know why I do these things, (laughs) but I really just can't help it. Um, This is why we have confession and assurance. And I just love the unflinching nature of a musician, of any praise team member, because it's out of love that we offer our gifts to God, and that can make us steadfast. And as the lighter got closer and closer to Scott's music stand, just kept singing, kept playing, shook his head at me, and moved on. And there was maybe some trust involved in that. But let's be honest, it's not the first time I've lit stuff on fire in church. But love will make us steadfast. Love will help us hold our ground. And love will make the most of difficult situations. Emmanuel, God is with us. There is no greater source of hope and love than that, that God is with us. And that, that theme never actually gets old, of facing a tough situation, of, of feeling like you're in over your head, and then you realize you're not alone. There are so many different movies that I can think of that that theme plays out where your hero or the group that you're cheering for, it it looks like all hope is lost. And then it's that simple reminder that they are not alone, that someone is with them. I definitely am afraid of the punishment of spoilers for Star Wars, but I will just brag and say, due to a very thoughtful pastor appreciation gift, I got to see Star Wars on Thursday. And I will say that that same theme plays out. Though I won't tell you how, because I am afraid of punishment, It does play out that our hope is challenged. We think that it's all lost. And yet the simple reminder that we are not alone will stir our hope once again and that we will move forward. Friends, this Christmas season, remember that you are not 
alone. We are not alone because we belong to God who is always with us and will not leave us or forsake us and we belong to one another. So whatever comes through this holiday season, through whatever highs and lows you experience, remember that you are not alone because God is with you. God's love will make the most of your difficult situations. 